In the closing lines of Ted Conover's 2015 Vanity Fair piece, From Gitmo to an American Supermax, The Horrors of Solitary Confinement, he describes Guantanamo Bay as a prison whose only certain closing date is the one on which the last prisoner dies. Today, the future of Guantanamo is no less hazy. Despite promises to empty and close the prison, 76 prisoners remain. Hazier still is the truth about what lies behind the locked gates. Though evidence of force-feeding, humiliation, and torture seep through, few outsiders have breached the barbed wire to receive a first-hand look. Ted Conover has. Twice. And today, he's taking us behind the feature. It has definitely evolved over time particularly in terms of physical plant. A lot of people's first memory of Guantanamo is of what was called Camp X-Ray, which was an outdoor facility where all these prisoners in orange jumpsuits were transferred straight off the transport planes from Afghanistan and blindfolded and kept in cages outdoors that kind of resembled big kennels for human beings. And a few months after that, Shortly before my first visit, the military had constructed more permanent facilities basically by using shipping containers that they'd modified to make them a little more spacious and have windows. So that was the first part of Camp Delta, which is a physical space that's been augmented since. Those containers are almost entirely out of use, and now the prisoners are kept in what are called Camp 5 and Camp 6. Those are regular brick-and-mortar prison buildings that copy uh, similar institutions from the Midwestern United States, and they can be run as supermax isolation facilities or just regular maximum security facilities with some congregate space, and that's how they're run. And that's where most of the remaining prisoners are kept. Camps 5 and 6 are based on the Supermax model that has no open bars. Uh, it's all plexiglass windows and then a bean hole in the door through which meals can be passed. But, you know, if prisoners know you're outside of their cells, I, I know they often yell. When we were there, they did not create the conditions for that to happen. The prisoners whose cells we looked into couldn't see us because we were looking through a one-way mirror. And so it's not like any other prison anyone's likely to have visited. Prisons are noisy places. You know, they're full of not just the sound of slamming doors, but guards talking and often prisoners calling to each other or whatever. But yeah, Guantanamo's kind of quiet and not in a good way. It's I think it's the most sterile, tropical place I've ever seen. When I worked in Sing Sing, it just seemed, you know, especially when it got hot, which is always in Cuba, it would just be the smells of sweaty men and testosterone and, uh, you know, a certain amount of tension in the air. Guantanamo's more antiseptic than that. There are not that many prisoners. There's a huge, you know, many, many, many more guards than there are prisoners and um, low density. The people aren't packed 
in a small space. Uh, they're much more likely to be isolated, alone, especially those who are continuing to hunger strike. I mean, they're extremely isolated. So it's not, it's not like other prisons. As far as other changes, you know, in the early days, the intelligence mission was still a very big deal there. I met mostly members of the Guard Corps who tend to be reservists for military police companies in the States who were sent to Guantanamo for like six months at a time. They all seem to have hated it then and they all seem to hate it now. It's hot there. There's not much going on. There's terrible internet. So you can't distract yourself off hours easily. There's like one gym, one outdoor movie theater, five fast food restaurants, and it, it sucks. I mean, everybody seems to hate it. But early on, there was at least an equal number of intelligence community personnel who were trying to milk the detainees for anything they knew that could help in the war in terror. And we didn't get to meet any of those people. And I understand now that there are few or none of them left. Like, early on, there was a sense of a gold mine of secrets of al-Qaeda. In the beginning, there was a lot of fear and sense of a sort of urgent national mission that to contain the spread of terrorists, Guantanamo was essential, that the draconian measures taken when you transferred a prisoner from one place to another, you know, all the shackles and the four escorts, all these extreme high security measures were appropriate because these were real live terrorists, right? These are people who bombed the United States, who attacked us. But, you know, very little ever materialized in that way. A lot of what came out of it was shown to be useless. And the whole process of gaining intel has invalidated most American efforts to prosecute these people because it poisoned their testimony, right? Whatever they said was taken under duress and torture in many cases. So it's now just sort of like a never-ending holding facility. The one exception is the top secret area called Camp 7, where the most high-value detainees are kept. Like most of the 9-11 defendants are there, while, you know, quote-unquote, awaiting trial. But Americans and the rest of the world have grown skeptical that these trials will ever take place. There's just, you know, every time they get started, a defense attorney raises some well-founded objection and everything's delayed another three, six, nine months. And so it goes, just ticking by. And so all the prisoners now are much older, which is another big difference. They're, they seem like lifers. If you've visited American prisons, they're just these old guys who've been there a long time. There's this dusty feeling about it. And I think tending to them doesn't you know, soldiers are still told how urgent it is to be on point all the time. But I think it has become sort of routine and seems less like we have this incredibly toxic thing in a box and we have to be careful or it'll get out. The leadership changes every 18 months or so and a new admiral moves in and takes over and the timber changes. But I do think one constant is the people who work there know the world is against this mission. There are people in Congress, needless to say, who support it, 
But almost all the visiting journalists, I'd say, are deeply skeptical. And they're used to that now, and they deal with it. But I think they're just sort of reflexively unhelpful. It was President Obama's campaign promise to close Guantanamo. He's been thwarted by Congress, which attached restrictions to moving them out of there, particularly to the mainland. And I think he's doing the next best thing. He's trying as hard as he can to reduce the population as much as he can in the months remaining of his term. So it's down to 76 as of today. And by the time people hear our conversation, let's hope it'll be a little smaller. But it won't be that much smaller, I don't think, because only an additional 27 have been cleared for transfer. The best President Obama is likely to do before he leaves office is transfer out those remaining 27 who've been cleared because there's no charges against them and many apparently didn't do anything. The first thing that has to happen is the U.S. has to find a place that will take them. Occasionally it's been their home country, but quite often that's fraught because to return from Guantanamo is to return with a huge stigma. And if you go home to Algeria and you've been in Guantanamo, you're going to be treated as a potential terrorist. And the U.S. says we've never sent anybody to a country where we thought they'd be reincarcerated. But in fact, it's happened many times that these people are put back in prison and some are still there. More commonly, they're processed. In Saudi Arabia, they're re-educated. There's a whole school for, you know, what do they call it? Curing terrorists. Who knows exactly how they manage that? In some cultures, they seem sort of carefully looked after with a lot of official scrutiny. And in other parts of the world, they're just sort of let go and, you know, left to their own devices. It was guessed that during uh, the years of the George Bush presidency, I think 17% of released detainees were thought to have returned to the battlefield in some way. The most recent figures about those released under Obama suggest it's now closer to 6%. And my guess about this is that it's kind of just a function of, of these men aging. You know, prison ages you faster than if you were on the outside. And the longer you're away, the less you're able to do anything. And so I think sometimes they have a propaganda value to Al-Qaeda or whoever they rejoin, but I don't think they too often have a huge strategic military value. I think the struggle went on without them and they've been replaced. And so, yeah, there's just a whole variety of things that happen. Sometimes they get married and start a family and it can be in Uruguay or Ghana, or Cape Verde Islands. I mean, miles from where they're from. It does seem there's a few, though, who then have a different future in mind. A prisoner from Uruguay went to Brazil on a retreat of some kind and has disappeared. I think some of the prisoners exchanged for um, Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl, there were five in that exchange, taken in by Qatar, who have, um, some of them have disappeared. So you can't keep track of them all. It's not that organized. I think once they're out, it's up to the new host country to tend to them or not. I have heard that there's often a cash payment from the U.S. to, quote, help resettle this prisoner. I think sometimes those payments are substantial. 
They're offered as an incentive for the country to help us out. Who knows what other incentives there might be? But sometimes I think it can totally backfire for a country to accept detainees, such as in Ghana, where a couple of them got in trouble with the law and they were headline news and destabilized the government. Basically, the government's decision to let in these, quote, foreign terrorists was, you know, they they poisoned Ghana. How could you have done that? Let these people in. So it's really politically tricky often. In any event, I don't think he'll be able to close it. My larger thought about this is that during World War II, there were something like 425,000 German prisoners of war detained in the mainland United States in camps in the Midwest and the South where it was cheaper. They were kept till the war was over and then they were released. And somehow, by comparison, this in infinitesimally small number of alleged terrorists captured, you know, on on the battlefield, quote unquote, have taken on this huge symbolic power. Like, you know, in the popular mind, if they get out, it's going to be the end of civilization. And it's, to me, it's quite absurd. We've been able to handle captured soldiers before. We've kept them and we've let them go. And life goes on. And why we are so afraid that that they possess some kind of kryptonite that's going to do us in, it it seems really irrational to me. I've, I've been in American supermax prisons. They're incredibly secure. We could close Guantanamo, put those detainees in our supermax prisons, save hundreds of millions of dollars along the way, and be just fine. But, um... The political backdrop won't let it happen. I would definitely go back to Guantanamo, especially if anything changed that would allow more of my questions to be answered. No journalist has ever been allowed to ask questions directly of a detainee at Guantanamo. And there's so many I'd like to ask. I'd like to know about the cells where the hunger strikers are kept. They're supposedly in a special wing of Camp 5, which doesn't have toilets or sinks, like they're placed in a a particularly awful, cold cell. But no one's ever seen it like me. I'd like to ask about it. There have been lots of suicidal impulses and and, uh, hunger strikes. No one like me has ever been able to talk to prisoners about that. But Guantanamo is one pole on a continuum of American penal practice. It's the most locked down thing we have. Its antecedents are supermax prisons that we started building around this country in the 70s. California and Texas have kept people in solitary confinement for years and years and years. And so this seems to me kind of a good thing not to neglect and to to write about whenever I can. I only spent a few days in the box, as it's called, at Sing Sing. But those days left a big impression. And um, while I have no illusions about the crimes committed by the people in a maximum security prison like Sing Sing, you know, not everybody is certain to have done something bad. It seems many of them did nothing. Uh, And were swept up with others who had, and now we just can't get rid of them. So... No, this is, as an American, this is something I'm not proud of and I'm, I'd like to keep talking about as long as it's happening.